Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. And what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. And welcome to the latest edition of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Benhauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter. And I am really excited about tonight's show because uh, this is going to be a very different show. If, if you're used to having to keep your one hand on the volume dial, um, worried that your ears might get blown out by uh, a loud rant or scream or Maybe you get really tired of the fact that, you know, there's just relentless, you know, Pete Carroll bashing or, or, you know, just frustration, even after the Seahawks are winning. I think tonight is going to be your podcast. This is going to be the one for you. So uh, tonight, my co-hosts, uh, let me bring them in first, uh, Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Good to see you, dude. What's going on? Uh, a lot. Got an undefeated football team. So good stuff. Good stuff going on. Um, next, uh, Dana O'Gorman uh, at Dana OG on Twitter. She is the OG. Uh, so it's good to have you, Dana. How's life? It's it's awful. You know, rosy right now at five and zero. I'm a pretty happy fan. You know, and that's a really good place to start. I mean, I think. Um, uh, before we do, I, I should mention, if you haven't already click subscribe, perfect time to do it. Uh, you can also click the little bell. So you get notified when we go live, join over at patreon.com slash Perfect time during the bye week to join, um, get in there and it's like five bucks. So come on, uh, let's go talk Seahawks together. Um, a few hundred people in there now and it keeps growing and growing and growing. But there's been plenty to talk about. And I have a feeling the rest of the year there will be as well. Uh, Jeff, just before we got on, you and I were talking a little bit about this and, um, it's funny. I get, I get all sorts of feedback about the show. Um, uh, people love it. People get frustrated by it. People love certain folks on the show. People hate certain folks on the show. It's kind of like we, we try to have a diverse representation, but you know, you were talking about, I think kind of appreciating what we've got. And I think it'd be helpful for, for, you know, you to share. Yeah. So anyway, um, if you guys listen to our post-game show, we were all pretty worked up and you guys don't have access to our group chat. And I was, I, I took the first half really rough. And I know if Dana probably saw a side of me that she's never seen before. And I get really emotional during the games. I don't know, it's, it's something I've always had kind of difficulty with. And I know we always say on the show, like we want all the games to be a blowout. We want it to be comfortable, like sort of like week one. I was talking to a friend of mine today and well, I live in Toronto where a lot of you probably our listeners live. They're probably surrounded by mostly Seahawks fans. Almost none of my friends here are Seahawks fans. Most of my friends are, fr there's no, if you're in Toronto, there's no team. Everyone has a different team. So I've 
friends who are fr- fans of like 20 different teams. But I was talking to my friend today, the Giants fan, and we were just, we usually just talk about the week. And he was like, you're so lucky. And I thought he was just talking about Russell Wilson. He's like, I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And he was like, well, every one of your games is like the most exciting, crazy game. Like I watch all my games and I'm so bored. And like, when you really take a step back and really think about like the Patriots game and the Cowboys game and last week's game where we're like scratching our heads, nails and going crazy and our hearts are hurting. And we have Evan always comes on and talks about how every game like kills them or whatever. Never really think about like how that looks for someone else and how like, if you really take your emotion out of it and just look about Russell Wilson going 92 yards down the field in a minute 30 in the rain and the wind, like we don't really get a chance to like appreciate that. And like how rare that is or stopping Cam Newton on the one yard line or scoring that touchdown, the Matt Calf one against the Cowboys, stuff like that. It's just, you never really get a chance to sit back and think about that as kind of, we're always wrapped up in the emotion and our emotion is so high because we expect them to win every game we kind of lose perspective on that. And so it was kind of cool. I've been thinking about it all day, how cool that comeback was against the Vikings was, and just so different to how I felt after that game and how stressed and annoyed and mad I was. And days later, it's just like, I'm looking at it totally different. I don't know if you guys have felt that way, but I've really appreciated just like kind of Russell and doing that 92 yard drive and DK. It's like, we're really, really lucky. We get to watch these guys every week because my Giants fan is 0-5. They're watching a hopeless Daniel Jones being wasted. And we don't even know if he's good, but we'll save that for another day. But I don't know if you guys feel differently. And I'd probably get yelled at if everyone else was on the show. But <laughs> Dana's like, welcome to my world, right, Dana? Exactly. It really is. You know, I think, you know, I and this is no disrespect to anyone, but uh, I am in, I'm in my, I'm in my mid forties, you know, I'm older. I have lived, that's right. I have lived through really bad years with the Seattle Seahawks. I've been a Seahawks fan since I was 11 years old. And cause I grew up in Montana. My grandpa introduced me to football and we were Seahawks fans. Cause in Montana, you have your own team, much like Toronto. So you have all different kinds of fans. But we were Seahawks fans. And so I remember you know, really, really, really bad football out of Seattle and so sometimes I get a little frustrated with some of the younger guys in the group and some younger people online, because I think exactly what you said, Jeff, they have a tendency to forget how lucky we are to be in every single game. How many teams, if they had been down 13, nothing had absolutely no chance of coming back. But in Seattle, until the clock hit zero, you always think we're going to win. There's no question in your mind. Russell Wilson will be able to figure this out or the defense will make the stop when they need to. And yes, we've complained a lot about the defense on this show and and on Twitter this year, but they always make the stop when it counts. And how lucky is that? Because so many other teams don't do that. And so you really need to remember to shift our perspective. Sometimes doesn't mean it's not okay to be frustrated. doesn't mean it's not okay to be irritated at something, but at the same time, man, so Lisa Johnson, she is for our turf football. She's our dolphins writer. She's been obsessed with Russell Wilson since that draft. And I have known her that long. And she said, Oh, Dana, she, that, that is the man. He is the guy you are super, super lucky. And ever since then, she's a dolphins fan. I mean, come on. She understands what it's like to be unlucky. And she always says, you never know how good you have it. Now, one little story though, with Lisa, the super bowl, Seattle won we were killing them. Right. Like that was the comfortable game that we needed. And thank God it was the, you know, the Super Bowl. but Lisa was like, that was the most boring game I've ever watched. It just (laughs) murdered them. It was so boring. And I'm like, that was the best game ever. She's like, no, it really wasn't. So to your point, Jeff, I think you're right. Those exciting games where you don't know who's going to win until the last one. Well, we do. We always assume we're going to, but at the same time, you know, a lot of other football fans really wish we were as unlucky as we are up in Seattle. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, certainly Dana, you have, you and I have a lot in common in terms of (laughs) our timeframes with the Seahawks and, you know, Jeff, you've been a longtime fan as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I don't even know if you really have to go back that far. I mean, when I was writing about the team, even during the LOB years, 2012, 2013, before they'd even, officially won the ring I found I had to spend a lot of time I mean I didn't have to but I felt compelled to spend a lot of time like trying to get 
folks to appreciate what we were seeing and what was going on because it's hard for people to remember, especially as it's happening, what's going on. I think people think about the best defense of a generation as basically not giving up any points ever, or like, you know, no one scores points. Jeff, you and I talked about this a little bit. I wrote about it in my morning after column this week, that 2013 team, they got their asses handed to them in the first half against Matt Schaub and the Texans. They had no business winning that game. Um, you know, they needed uh, a last second goal line stand against Kellen Clemens and the Rams to win 14 to nine in that season. They were down 21 to nothing to an 0 and 8 Tampa Bay Bucks team like at home. Right. So like this happens even the, and that Seahawks team was the most dominant roster the Seahawks will ever have. I mean, if anyone thinks otherwise, you know, it's a lottery hope that you, you get another roster that stacked that grew that quickly under the cap with a rookie quarterback, like rookie contract quarterback. So those are incredibly special times. I think it's really hard for people to appreciate them when they're going through them. Now that I think they look back with, with like rose colored glasses about those times and they don't realize that they're going through it again. Like right now we're going through one of those times. It looks different and it feels different, but that's what's happening. This is, it's for my money. If it's not the best offense in the NFL, it's one of the top two or three, no doubt about that whatsoever. I think it's pretty clear. You have the best player in the NFL right now, having what will probably be the best season of his career. You have maybe the best receiver or the best young receiver in the NFL. You have an offensive line that's playing as well as any has for the Seahawks in the last probably 10 or 15 years. And then you've got a defense. And I want to spend a little time talking about this with you both. This is one of the weirder and harder parts, I think, for people right now, which is this defense. You can't feel good about them, but people are not watching all 32 teams. And the reality is the bills just gave up 40 plus to the Titans. The Colts just gave up a ton of points to the Browns. The chiefs just got rolled by the Raiders. Like it is a relative game. And right now, I think if you look at the Seahawks defense, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I think there's signs that it's getting better and that, there's almost no signs that this is the worst defense in the NFL or even the bottom five. So um, I don't know where are you guys on where you're feeling about this team right now, relative to some of those championship caliber teams that we've seen from the Seahawks in the past. Um, Jeff, you want to go first? Yeah, it's, it's very much like you were just saying it's, it's the best offense I probably have ever watched as a Seahawks fan. Uh, some people have been saying that not only is it the best season of Russell's career, it's some of the best quarterbacking they've ever seen from any player. So when you have him who's playing at like a, as good as you can play, like Peyton Manning, like I used to kind of laugh. I'm not going to lie. When Russell used to be like, I want to be like the best of the best all time. Great. I just never thought he could get to that point. I always thought he was great. And that was probably a mistake by me, but he can be talked about like a Mahomes or a, some Peyton and Brady and it's crazy to think about, but that's where Russell is right now. So having him and D we talked about this on the post game show. And the more I think about it, it's not crazy. DK Metcalf is as valuable as any receiver in the NFL. And he's only getting better. And like, again, we laughed at some of the comparisons we made for him, but a year and a half in, he looks better than he could have. So offensively as good as I can possibly be. And defensively, it's just adjusting our expectations. It's exactly what you said, Brian. It's hard to watch a group that we all thought like might be the best secondary in the league or might be a dominant group and they struggle in basic coverages. And it's hard to, but when you watch the rest of the league and I, I, I know our usual hosts are very Seahawks oriented. I think the difference between me and Dana compared to our usual hosts is we're more NFL big picture. Like I watch as much as I can. I watch every team. When you look around the league, there's just not a lot of even average defenses right now. So as weird as the Seahawks look, and I, I find it very hard to watch a team that just can't rush the basketball. 
they're not that bad considering the competition. And that's hard to wrap my head around. I'm still struggling with that. Yeah. Dana, how about you? Where, where does this team, how do you compare this to, to some of our past, you know, true contending teams? I think it's hard to compare them because like just the 2013, let's just talk about that. You can't compare that because it was so defense based. Do you know what I mean? The defense was, you know, the one getting all the shine They, they, they weren't, they were stopping fantastic players. But if you look at that season, I looked it up after you mentioned it, Brian, you know, they went into, had to go into overtime twice that season to win those games and they did win them, but they had to go into overtime. And I was at that Houston game in, in Houston, Texas. I was at that great because that was one of my favorite moments when Sherman made that pick without issue. But, um, it, that game, as I was walking out, people were even then were like, Oh, that was so fun to watch. It was so fun to watch. But if you look at those games, you know, it was, 23, 20 in overtime, 27, 24 in overtime against Tampa Bay. Like you said, they were a terrible team. Um, and then they had some, some blowouts, which was nice. You know, they did beat the saints 34 to seven. That was really nice, but it was so defense-based where this team in this year, it's all about the offense. And so I think it's really next to impossible to compare the two, but here's how I feel. I feel again, for the first time, in quite a while, I would say a number of years, maybe even since about 15 or 16, that I feel the, the chip on this team's shoulder again. And I think that that's really important for football teams. Not everyone, everyone likes, so there's people out there who like finesse football. There's people out there who like, you know, you know, more of that. I like greedy football, 80 Raiders football. I loved, I'm sorry. I love Howie Long, even though he was dirty little player, but I like him. But so I like that kind of football. And I feel that from this again, the dig deep into the gut, make the stops when you need to. And in this defense, I think you're right. Again, it's only five weeks into this season. And already your number one defensive player has missed multiple games Mm -hmm. when he comes back. And I thought it was brilliant of them to sit him through the bye week. I think that, that that he's going to come back Jamal Adams is going to come back and make a huge, huge impact. I think Quentin Dunbar is just going to get better just simply because he's going to start to get more comfortable. We're going to start to feel this a little bit more. The, the people we lost off at Marquise Blair and Bruce Irvin, I think those were huge losses, um, but that doesn't mean they can't recover from it. And you can feel this team trying to make that. And I, and I like that. I feel like I've, like we've been missing that aspect of Seahawks football for a couple of years. Yeah. You know, when I, when I think about this Seahawks team, I don't think about the 2013 squad as much. I definitely think about the 2005 squad and, and um, yes. I just went back to check real quick on, on DVOA for those two teams. And right now the Seahawks are th- the third ranked DVO DVOA team uh, in the NFL through five. One and two. And one, number one is Baltimore. Number two is Tampa Bay. I think that Tampa Bay yeah. ranking is going to prove to be off, but we'll find out. Um, but the Seahawks are the third ranked offensive team the 19th ranked defensive team and the fourth ranked mm. special teams. Okay. So remember that 19 number, cause we're going to come back to that. The, the 2005 Seahawks team was the number three ranked DVOA team overall. They were the number one ranked offense. Um, they were the number 19th ranked defense. Right. And so I, I think it's, I think it's worth noting and, and their special teams was ranked 20th. This special teams is damn special. It's good. They're really good. And so I think when you look at that defense there, I mean, Lofa Tatupu was a rookie and you had a guy there that I think stepped up and helped get people set up. You had, was it Marcus Tubbs? Uh, He had his one season of being a meaningful defensive lineman, right? Um, You know, and the cornerback position, it was, it wasn't super strong. I think truth was true. Playing. Was there. It was uh, they signed a veteran guy who played pretty well. I can't remember his name. Yeah, I'm I'm spacing on his name off the top of my head, but um, <laughs> I hear someone uh, Chet as uh, mentioned Rocky Bernard, of course. Um, <laughs> but but you had I mean Ken Hamlin was injured earlier in that season, and they had to play Marquand Manuel um, for most of the year at safety, but that was a great, you know, example of a defense. They weren't great. They weren't super talented, but they made timely plays. Jordan Babineau, right? You mentioned that Jeff, like how many times did he make a play for that defense? 
And I think this is that's the way that team won is that they just dominated that people could not stop that offense. There were plays that they could make that people simply couldn't stop. And I think we haven't quite seen that from the Seahawks yet. I don't think we have the play that they just can't stop um, mm-hmm. yet for the Seahawks, but this was probably one of their least effective offensive games and they scored 27 points. So, you know, put that in perspective, the highest scoring team in the franchise history was the 2005 squad. They averaged just, I think over, I think it was 27. I want to have to go out and look, it might be 27, maybe 28, but I think it was 27 points, just over 27 points per game. So anyway, um, we're all sunshine and roses tonight. Hope everyone uh, <laughs> enjoys a little uh, uh, break from that. Um, there's someone in chat, uh, and I never remember if it's Elena or Alana, but she's been asking for it. And I think it's worth calling out that during the off season, um, there were a lot of conversations on this show about KJ Wright. And, you know, even up until when uh, Jadavian Clowney was, you know, we're trying to sign him, any pass rusher, clear cap space. KJ was the first name that we talked about. I think you could argue that he's been the best defensive player on the team through the first five games. And I think even more, I think that he might be playing better at the Sam position and might find renewed life at that spot versus the will. I don't know that to be the fact, but it's at least a coincidence so far that his two best games came when he moved to the the Sam position. Jeff, you look like you were about to jump in there. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, we spent a lot of time when say when Brooks got taken and it seemed like KJ might not make it back, so he kind of seemed like kind of just a luxury to have at this point, given he was he's in the last year of his deal. He's a step slower than he used to be, and. Yeah, we didn't know if he was still going to play in nickel. And and he was a guy that's a lot of people, I never thought it made sense to cut him, but a lot of people made him seem expendable when we were short on money for pass rushers. And yeah, I, I totally agree. KJ's, especially the last two weeks, KJ's been their best defensive player. And I don't think it's remotely close. But frankly, the big picture is, I think we wasted a lot of energy on Clowney. I've watched every game he's played this year. He is, he's not an impact player. He's just, he's fine. He blows up a play now and again, but we spent a lot of time talking about him as like a $20 million player. I think that might've been a huge mistake. Yeah. Well, I, I know that I, I, I mean, might be wrong, but no, I, I think, I think it's fair. It's, it's hard to say. <laughs> The defensive line is an issue for the Seahawks. I don't think I don't think there is anything that I would take back about the fact that the way that the Seahawks approached this offseason on the defensive line was a major, major mistake. Um, and I, I don't think that anything would change my perspective on that. Whether Jadavian Clowney needed to be that guy, I never felt like it had to be Clowney until he was the only one left. <laughs> and then I was like, please, let's have at least some option other than rotational guys. Um, I know Bruce Irvin has shares your perspective on Jadavian Clowney. I don't know if other people saw it. Did you see what he wrote, Dana? I did. I watched that whole Twitter thread from him last night. I'm telling you, he's got he's got life as a commentator after football. I it was so enjoyable to watch him be that engaged. And the and the slam on Clowney of we have the same number of sacks and I'm not even playing was was just fantastic. I I agree with you, Jeff, on Clowney. And and, and I agree with you too, Brian. I, it didn't have to be Clowney. It needed to be someone. I think that you and I both agreed that we kind of would prefer Emerson Griffin. We have Emerson Griffin. We were really all about him. And, and now, you know, of course, it always depends on scheme and what coach they have and that sort of thing. But he hasn't looked fantastic either this year. But here's the thing. I think the question mark with Clowney was, for me, is after we heard that he had lowered his price tag and teams still weren't lining up for him, that made me question whether or not we were seeing him as who he should be versus who he actually was on the field. And so I feel like that, that some hype got up underneath of him when there were other options. I certainly didn't, I didn't want the team to pay a ton for him. And and so far, I mean, again, just five weeks in, 
it, it, we seem to have maybe been right about that. And so I, I don't know. I agree though. There, there's still a lot of problems on that defensive line, but I'm excited for snacks to come in. I know he's not an edge rusher, but it makes you wonder if he'll take the focus a little bit more and, and give, give the team more options. I, I definitely have been, we've talked about that a fair amount. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm certainly hopeful. It does give me pause though, mm-hmm. that like, how often do we, I mean, we just talked about Clowney and how we thought that he was going to be something or could have been something and how he's really hasn't shown up. Snacks was available for even longer. Um, it's probably even more out of shape. Uh, I think it's probably wise for us to temper expectations about how much he's going to have an impact on this team. But I certainly would rather have him as an option and to find that out than to not have it. And, you know, if you get if you catch lightning in a bottle, so to speak, with him, if he can if he can play 75 percent of who he was two years ago, that's a big addition to this team. That's a very big I think each one of us would feel would have felt better in that Minnesota game if you had snacks Harrison available to you. I don't think I don't think they would have rushed for the yardage that they rushed for in that game if he was available. To play i think so too and and to be quite honest with you i also think that if um oh my gosh i've just completely blanked on their running back uh dalvin cook yes cook sorry i kept thinking digs digs and i knew it was wrong sorry dalvin cook i think had he not had to come out of the game on and off i'm not so sure seattle would have won that game because he they were complete he was completely carving up the center so you're right i think that that's a huge it, it's not going to be necessary, it doesn't have to be a huge addition it has to be a little bit of addition to yeah. be helpful. And if it's more than that, nothing but frosting on that. Yeah, I agree with you, Dana. The winning play of the game, the fourth down stop. Mm-hmm. Bassett misses a giant hole on the right side. He could have walked into the end zone if he caught it. So I don't think Dalvin misses that hole. He's, But I, I agree with you. I think with Clowney, it was a little different. Snacks was thinking about retiring. I think the COVID thing, a lot of defensive tackles specifically opted out. And he, I think, had a lot of thought into retiring. He had gone through a rough experience in Detroit. I think the COVID thing, being a bigger guy, I think that gave him a lot. And it wasn't like Clowney as much or a guy usually hangs around. He had a lot of interest. Like, I know the Green Bay and the Bears, they're all trying to sign him. So the Bucs tried to sign him once Vita Vea went down. So this is not a guy that, like, is lingering off his reputation and living in the past. I think it was more on his side and it doesn't, he hasn't been getting great quotes from Pete in terms of, or John in terms of where he's at physically, but I think we saw the run defense kind of get exposed a bit last week and kind of come back to life. So have another, and Jaron Reed just played his best game maybe in two years. So having him to that group at least gives the defensive line a potential strength because their edge rush just edge rush is probably the worst in the league and that's not an exaggeration yeah well speaking of the defensive line um i just gave you guys a big clue who do you think is the number one rated seahawk on the defense by pff don't look give me a name demontre moore demontre moore is a good guess Dana, do you have a guess for me? Oh my God. People listening along, you may you may join in on this as well, although you're probably all looking if you um, have a description. I'm just gonna say Reed after that last game. I don't think that's right, but it's it's a fair guess as well. The name is Jonathan Bullard. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> I would not Bullard have said is that. The, is the number one rated defender. Now, granted, it's only 23 snaps. So What's that? Was that just last game or on the whole just season? His last game. This yeah. is just from his last game. So um, his first game with the Seahawks, uh, 87.8 rating from PFF. That's wow. not good. That's freaking great. <laughs> um, and not only that, you want to guess what his pass rush grade was in his 10 pass rush snaps? 92.4. I mean, it's a small sample size, but that's pretty damn You know what? We are wandering the desert looking for a drop of water. The the next highest pass rush grade that's a defensive lineman is Demontre Moore 
at 66.3. So, I mean, it's, it's meaningful. It's meaningful that, that he had, you know, some impact in a very short amount of time. Don't expect him to be an elite pass rusher the rest of the year, but maybe he's someone that can help. I mean, he's already shown that he might be able to do that. So I think it's gonna be really interesting. I don't know where you guys are, but assuming Rasheem green comes back, um, you know, assuming snacks comes around now you've got Bullard. I think there's some tough questions to answer there. Like how do you, I mean, where does Rasheem green fit into this versus a guy like Bullard? Um, you know, how do you guys want to see that play out? What about Collier? Well, so let's, let's talk about that. I mean, my assumption is Collier, the way that season started, Collier and Green were rotating. Collier was the base defensive lineman for the five tech for run, basically rundowns, base downs, and then they'd put in Rasheem Green for for pass rush situations. Mm-hmm. So that would be my expectation: is Collier will still be the the the, the base five tech, and we're kind of talking about who gets the other rush end um, snaps. Jeff, do you have a preference? What you want to see? Demontre Moore is another name, by the way. So Demontre Moore, Rasheem Green, Jonathan Bullard. What do you guys want to see? Uh, yeah, like I, I, I can see the excitement in Bullard. Bullard was a guy who was like, I think he went in the third round or the second round a couple of years back. He was a pretty high level prospect coming out of Florida, and it was him and another guy that in the same draft here. They both came out of Florida, and they both kind of slept in the draft and never kind of hit and. I think Clint Hurt, the D-line coach, coached Bullard in Chicago. So I think he had an experience with him. Schneider said the other day, I think Brian pointed this out, that he's never played in a 4-3 defense. He's only played in a, it's like a 3-4 stand-up as more of like an, an end in a 3-4, which is a very different role. But I think they might have something there. Defensive linemen take a while to develop. Not a lot of them pop off their first year. Okay, we're kind of seeing it with Alton Robinson. Of all the hype he had, he's, he's mm, like most other one along slowly. So I don't think Daryl Taylor, if he comes back, is going to like blow, is going to like light the world on fire. So I'd be open to giving this guy Bullard some snaps because I think there might be something there. And at least he's got a chance. I don't know. Compared to some of the guys they've been rolling out and just like the zeros they had last year, I'm, I'm open to all these guys with upside. Yeah, Dana. I mean, Jeff brought up another name. So you've got Alton Robinson, you got uh, Demontre Moore, you got Bullard, you've got Rasheem Green coming back. You know, Alton Robinson, everyone's like, give him more snaps. He actually had 35 snaps against Minnesota. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily doing a lot with them. He had no pressures in, in those 35 snaps. And his pass rush grade was 57.3 in his 16 pass rush snaps. So where are you at? Like, assume Green's back. Who do you want getting the primary rush pass rush snaps opposite of Benson Mayoa? I hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out, but I truly, truly mean it. Rotation, 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 rotation. Get those players in and out and in and out as much as you can situationally. I think that's the logic behind any team with as much depth as Seattle has in a couple of spots. Now, not a lot of spots, but then a couple. I think that we just need to see that rotation because that's what works. And the cream always rises to the top. So if you take your time and you see these players and you rotate them in and out, you're going to see if Bullard is the guy you think he's going to be. You're going to see if Rasheem Green comes back stronger than he was before. Um, I don't want to give up on Alton Robinson just yet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because I was super excited about him in the draft. I don't know why. But I really think that there's still something there. And we have to remember he's a rookie five games into his, his season and into his first season. So I think that we need to give him some time there, but I just think that the, this is the perfect opportunity to, you know, throw pasta against the wall and see if it, sit, see if it sticks, you know, you want to see what these guys can do. And this gives them the opportunity to be able to do that, to either find the diamond in the rough or weed out the guys that aren't going to work for you. Yeah. And I mean, the, the guy that we just don't know because the Seahawks are being pretty tight-lipped yeah. about it is Daryl Taylor. Yeah. So, you know, um, uh, Pete's been pretty non-committal. Um, he said the closest thing to a positive um, last week about, you know, yeah, he's made some improvement and maybe he'll start, you know, get back to us in a few weeks. But when he was asked on Monday, he was like not committal about any of these guys. Um 
coming off PUP. We don't know about Rashad Penny, um, which is another one I want to talk to you guys about for mm-hmm. a second. It's not the biggest decision in the world, but we'll come to that in a second. But Daryl Taylor, I mean, I guess my basic expectation is not to expect here. And if we get him, great. But I'm not expecting him back. Um, and even if I'm back. Can you remind me? Because it's, it's been for a so rookie. Long. I'm sorry. It's hard for a rookie defenseman to come in and, and have an immediate yeah. impact. So, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Dana. I was just going to say, remind me exactly what his injury is again. It's been so long. What is what is he the had struggle a plate there? Put in his, his leg. Okay. Yeah, you know, get a, a fracture, and uh, I don't know what what Pete kind of alluded to that uh, they didn't have hands on him for tab during COVID thing and. Um, he kind of lost a little bit of his momentum in, in going through rehab and, and didn't get as far as he needed to. So I think they've just been trying to get him back on track. So I don't know that he had any like complication or relapse. I just think it's, it's been taking a little longer for him to get where he needs to go. That's what I was wondering if there had been some sort of major setback that had, no. it has surprised them. So it's just, okay. That's, that's my understanding, but yeah. I mean, let's talk about the other guys that could be coming off PUP because it's after six weeks, right? It's not after six mm-hmm. games. So um, uh, we're in week five. We're going to be through six weeks after the bye. They, I think, are eligible to start bringing guys off the PUP to at least start practicing with them after the sixth mm-hmm. week. Um, so some of the guys that are on that list uh, are, we already talked about Daryl Taylor. Um, he might be on the actually not football injury list. I, I don't think he's literally on the PUP, but he still would be eligible. Mm-hmm. Um, Rashad Penny. Uh, is it Colby Parkinson? Am I getting remember yeah, his name? Parkinson. Yeah, the, the tight end. Um, and I can look to see if there's anyone else, but I think those are some of the, the big names that come to mind. So Rashad Penny. Uh, folks that don't follow Twitter, I think most of you do. There's been, there's been a lot of conversation back and forth about Travis Homer and his role. And, um, we won't get into all the depths <laughs> on there because honestly, it wouldn't be the same without Nathan, um, to have that conversation. But, you know, my point with, with Travis Homer is I'm fine. He's an, he's an excellent pass protecting, uh, mm-hmm. running back. He plays that role. Well, I'm fine with him having that role as a two minute back. I do think it's actually hurting the team for him to be cast in a backup running back role and getting running back uh, snaps. Um, so uh, obviously Carlos Hyde should be back. Rashad Penny might be back. Let's assume for a second, Rashad Penny and Carlos Hyde are back. What do you guys want to see happen with the snaps behind Chris Carson and Dana, I'm not going to let you get away with rotation, rotation. I won't. No, no, no. I won't this time. You, I you yeah. only have one. This is one of those. <laughs> I think that's important though. I'm just going to say that. I agree but, with you. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. I, and I, I, but I think, I think for the sake of conversation, let's make it a little yeah. No, want... I, oh, go ahead, Jeff. No, oh, no, 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 no. Go ahead, Dana. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, um, to be honest with you. So if I know the rules of PUP, uh, properly they come off at six weeks and they have to be elevated to the roster by eight weeks if i remember correctly yeah Mm -hmm. so that does make you wonder with rashad penny is he going to hit that eight week mark i don't i don't know that we've heard enough to know that um i i was fine with the way carlos hyde was playing i thought that he was he was he was playing in the role that he was supposed to i agree with you on homer i would much rather see DJ Dallas in there. I would much rather see what that rookie can pull off than I would Homer. And that's nothing against him. I know you guys had a whole deal with that. I was not involved in that, but I will say that I, I agree with you to a certain extent, um, especially against certain teams. But if I had to pick, let's say Rashad Penny is back. Carlos yep. Hyde is back. Yep. I'm just going to assume all of that. Yep. I think to be honest with you, I think I'd put Hyde before Penny at least as when Penny still starts coming back, we want, we got to see how he comes back and how he's rehabbed and how he's feeling. I really like Rashad Penny. I think that he's a good back. I think, um, I hate to use the word injury prone because I don't think it's fair to players, but the entire Seattle's entire running back core has a tendency to be injured a lot. And so I, I just think I'd rather take the, the veteran, um, Rashad's a, a, a veteran now, but I'd take Hyde over Penny right behind Chris Carson. Yeah, Jeff, I don't know where you are on this one. 
and I can't believe I'm going to say this. Um, Evan would, would, you can't tell Evan I said this, okay? <laughs> between the three of us, no one will yeah. hear this. If he's healthy and he's back, um, I'd prefer Rashad Penny. Um, yeah. and, and the main reason is because Rashad Penny gives you something that the other uh, backs don't, other than I think DJ Dallas might, but we haven't seen enough to know. He can, he can be a home run threat. Um, yeah. And there's, there's been a couple plays this year, even Chris Carson, as much as I, I mean, Chris Carson is clearly the best back of the bunch, mm -hmm. but there's been a couple plays. Whereas like, if that was Penny, that would have been a touchdown and Carson is not a breakaway back. That's not his strength. He does other things really well, but in general, he's not going to break off a 60 yard run. So uh, Penny showed me enough last year, especially in like that Philadelphia game um, where I, I think the offense is better with him than Carlos Hyde to me is just a, He's just an okay running back who, by the way, has broken or evaded exactly zero tackles this year. <laughs> so this all this running hard stuff and that he's him. just like Chris Carson, <laughs> which a lot of folks say, yeah. I just don't buy it. I, I see him as a very mediocre running back right now. Where are you on this, Jeff? Yeah, and the team made a really, like they overpaid a bit, but they made a smart like insurance bet mm -hmm. on high. That was a really smart sign and given where Penny was given Carson's durability history. So I think you're kind of seeing what the team saw and why they did that. And I know they took a lot of shit at the time for it, but it really made sense. For me, the, the big question comes down to Penny's health and it's a, kind of a cop-out, but like you said, Brian, there's a couple runs this year where Carson just had like a giant hole if he made one more cut. And the one flaw of Carson's game is he does, doesn't have that explosive speed. He's such a good power runner and you can like – if you listen to any like the all access episodes, you can hear the way his teammates talk about Carson and how happy they are. They never have to tackle him. But the way they're playing now, and if they're not really a run volume team, it's kind of hard to see how many carries a game Penny can really get in this stage. If he's getting like six carries a game, I might just ease him in along just until he gets that speed back. And I know he's been training and he's been rehabbing, but getting that football shape. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time and they're going to just have a lot. They're going to be in a luxury position. And right now I would just kind of go Carson as much as you can. He's in Hyde or Penny a little bit, but I don't think there's a lot of volume for either of them. I think there's more interest in that third down passing back to me. That's more of a question because really well, even when Hyde was playing, what was he getting? Seven carries, six carries. If Penny's getting that of a guy who's better, more of a volume player, I don't know how effective he'll be in that role, but it's a really conundrum for the team because in one sense, it kind of would be good for the team to see how they can do with Penny because he might be set up to be the feature back next year if they can't sign Carson. But in the short term, I don't know if that's a good plan. So it's a real conundrum for what they do there. I personally would just ease Penny back into action. I think having him is a luxury right now. I think that's actually a great addition there, Jeff, about the additional, the, the extra factor of Penny being under contract next year and being someone that could be their, their replacement should they choose to, to, to utilize that. Um, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a pause for some patron questions. Um, and uh, we do this every week. And so folks that haven't already join over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger, get instant access to our Slack channel where we uh, ask these questions. We have conversations all throughout the week um, about what's going on with the Seahawks. It's it's great. But we're going to start with the first one. And this is from Derek Woods, who's a, I think a recent joiner and a recent patron um, in the channel. Uh, his question, as good as this offense is, and Dana, we're going to go to you on this. Okay. Are there any further developments they can make to counter what opponent defenses are doing to take away their favorite options or schemes? Did we see that in the second half versus Minnesota? Well, A, I have to admit I missed the first half of the That's game. That's right. That's a tough question. You want me to take, you want me to take this one and we can give you a Yeah, I'm sorry, because the Minnesota aspect, I, I, I think I, I – you go ahead and I'll I'll, I'll, I'll give you the next one. So, so okay, on this, I'm sorry. And Jeff, feel free to jump in. But on this one, um, I, I, I do happen to think that there's – one of the things we see often with this Seahawks offense early in the year is you will see this max protect – um, play that they run a lot where Russell fakes the handoff and kind of curls back. You'll see multiple guys, you know, um, uh, in the backfield to protect and he takes a while and he looks deep 
And for whatever reason, the first three, four games of the year, they hit it to Tyler. They hit it to DK. They, they get big, big plays. And we've seen it multiple times in the first four games. Last two games, they've run that play repeatedly. Nothing's been there. Mm-hmm. And so typically what happens for at least that, what's been, when one of their go-to plays is they start to work in more crossers, intermediate options, and not just have the deep. And so they basically, what generally what offensive play callers are doing is they want to create tendencies and create success that defenses then see on film, have to make adjustments for, they then see those adjustments. And now they know that they've got you because when you show that play, they're going to be defending it the way, you know, to take it away. And now you can all, you can pivot off of it. So I think you're going to see them start to make those adjustments, especially coming out of the bye week I think Seattle's actually shown some pretty good ability in the past to self scout and make some changes. So I think that's going to be one of the things I look for as a, as a potential change. All right, Dana. Go go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Um, One area I think they can counteract this. And I think this may be a peep thing or a shoddy thing. They love those downfield chunk plays and they kind of get too focused on them. They have such a good tight end group and they need to attack. The whole point of bringing in Brad Golson to me was it kind of enhanced your deep passing game with the intermediate game. And you saw with Disley last year when he was really healthy. When they, the whole first half, I was going crazy. Use the tight ends, use the tight ends. They come out the first drive of the second half, boom, 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 tight end, tight ends, touchdown. That's what they can do that they couldn't do in the past, especially last year when Disley went down. They have two guys that can kind of, if you're going to take the deep guy and put two safeties high to take out Lockett and Metcalf, use those tight ends. Greg Olson, Disley, even Halster to extent. And if Parkinson comes back, that's another guy. So and if Josh Gordon comes, he can run slant rights. Yeah. So there's if you're gonna just sell to take the deep game away and take those long passes away, throw to Carson, throw to the tight ends. They have options galore. They just need to use them. Yeah, it was great to see Disley get a touchdown. I mean, I I have such confidence in that guy. Um so Dana. Uh uh next question is from uh stensig uh and his question is how do you feel about the rams considering they are 4-0 in the nfc uh east against the 4-0 against the nfc east he calls them the least um and (laughs) oh and one in their other games so and that was against the bills how good do you think this rams team is I think they're as good as Aaron Donald's going to take them. Let me just put it that way first. So Aaron Donald already has seven and a half sacks. We all know he's just the best defensive player in the league right now. I mean, there's no question. But, you know, here's the thing. We have to remember that the Rams have played a couple of, like, 0-1 win teams. Dallas isn't what we thought they were, but Dallas held them. That, that game was much tighter um, than I think people thought it was going to be. Their real challenge was the Buffalo Bills. And they lost now, but I want to give the Rams full credit because they came back from a huge deficit in that game and then almost literally won in Buffalo, which we know is is hard to do this year. Um, Do I think as the season goes along and they have to play more, you know, hardy opponents, will we see some more flaws in them? I, I do, but I will tell you they have earned that second place in the NFC West. And I know that, that a lot of people, you know, after they went to the Super Bowl and then they had such a down year last year, people were like, oh, they were flashing the pan. You know, Super Kid McVeigh is not exactly who we thought he was. Um, but I think they actually might be. I still have major questions about Jared Goff. I think, you know, he's just been, you know, okay. But at the same time, they have two 300 yard passers already, you know, this year. So in Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. So um, I think that he's, he's got, you know, with Goff having eight TDs, I, I think that they're, they are, a formidable opponent. And I'm going to tell you, I, the way Aaron Donald handles those offensive lines, Seattle is in for a serious battle when they play the Rams. No doubt. I mean, every, every team is, I mean, he, he is, as you said, the best. And um, only thing I'll add there. Yeah. Only thing I'll add there related to the Rams. Cause I think it is a great question about the, the level of um, competition that they've faced is they have to actually play the bears, the dolphins who are better than people mm-hmm. realize the 40, ask the 49ers about that, the bucks, the pats who very well, hopefully will have cam Newton back by the time they play them. Not to mention they have to play Seattle twice and the Cardinals twice. So I think the Rams have a lot of work ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the Seahawks. I mean, other than the Rams, their game, like the bills, they're the 15th ranked team in DVOA. That's the next highest team that they play. In fact, the Seahawks have games the rest of the season against the 32nd ranked team, the 30th ranked team, the 29th ranked team, the 28th ranked team, and the 49ers and cards are 18 and 19. So you're getting two against those that may not be as tough as people thought. So I think the Seahawks have a huge, huge schedule advantage, but I agree that's going to be a tough matchup for Seattle, regardless of, of all those other factors. That's that's just divisional football. I mean, they, they know each other so well. They play each other so well. In those divisional games, you just never know how they're going to end up. And if you can even have comparable teams, you just know that it's it's going to be a battle. I, I think Seattle could can beat them, but I think that is definitely one of their toughest upcoming matches. All right, Jeff, I've got a question for you from uh, August Cortez, because um, I think you've done some research into this. Do you have a wish list for any potential moves before the trade deadline? Uh, specifically, is there an edge rusher you think that they should go after from another team? Yeah, there's a couple teams, and one of them I pointed out earlier in the season, and I think it, the more the season comes along, the more it makes sense that – a lot of the teams that are looking to have like an abundance of edge rushers are in that NFC East. And the problem right now in the NFC East is all four of the teams are so bad, but at the same time, it also means all four of them still think they have a chance to make the playoffs. So teams might be in adding mode. If the owners are like, Hey, we want to make the playoffs this year, but someone like Washington, who if they give themselves an honest look is winning a shitty NFC East do much for them. No. They need to realize they're a couple of years away. They're rebuilding. So to me, the target would be Ryan Kerrigan. Mm-hmm. He's in his 30s. He's a proven pass rusher. And we talked about like the, the big five technique. They don't really – Seahawks have Mayoa. We don't know if Taylor's coming back. Griffin off the edge is still – he gets near the quarterback, but he's not a great pass rusher, I'm not going to lie. Um, they – need a prolific edge rusher it really is what this defense is missing they need to move a guy off the spot simple as that so kerrigan who's in the last year of his deal he's in his 30s he doesn't really fit with the timeline of the washington football team i don't know if the seahawks have the comp to make it work but to me he's the perfect fit to what they have where they are as a team and if you have to overpay a little bit for a team in their super bowl window that's the point that's why you're doing trades like this so to me maybe someone on philly as well if they still continue to combust there's a couple guys there, but to me, Kerrigan just works on a number of levels. So we'll take one more from a patron and then we'll, we'll talk about a couple other things. Uh, this comes from one of my favorite uh, handles, respect Russell Wilson's hair drip. Um, <laughs> how do folks feel about the Seahawks trying to get Le'Veon Bell? Who wants this one? I, I, I'll just tell you, no, thank you. <laughs> and here's the thing. I, I put that actually out there in our chat because someone had been tweeting about it. And and I think that a couple of the guys thought I was like pro Le'Veon Bell. I'm like, no, I'm saying why. We've already talked about the the running game that Seattle has. And, and I think that I do think Le'Veon Bell is talented. And I do think that a lot of his issues have had to do with coaching and ego. I will, I will say that too. But at the same time, I think that someone getting him in the right spot could really, he could really, really help a team. I don't know that that team is Seattle. Um, I think that they're fine in that position. They obviously, we were talking earlier, it's like, you know, we have this huge list. How do you even, you know, write them all out? So I think he will, he should, would end up better on a team that is really struggling. And, and then he, you know, with a coaching that would fit him better. I just don't know that he'd fit in Seattle. Yeah, I'd rather give those snaps to DJ Dallas, as Mm -hmm. crazy as that sounds. We've talked about running backs so many times over the years. Old running backs who are only in it for the money. He sat out a year and lost himself $14 million. And he's going to want to come in and get three snaps a game. We talked about Penny and Hyde. There's an abundance of players here already at the position. I couldn't think of a worse possible fit to add to this team. Yeah, yeah. I'm not interested in adding any uh any more running backs to this roster um that's not where this team needs to be adding looking to add talent so not particularly interested in that but um 
I do want to talk a little bit about this defense, um, you know, for a second, as we, we, we talk about, we talked about this a bit before, but um, I don't know if you guys saw some of the numbers that I shared out uh, this week, but the Seahawks defense is showing some signs of improvement. Um, and uh, I kind of thought that, but I wanted to put some numbers behind it. And here's a couple of them. So, um Seahawks opponent passing yards um the first three weeks of the season was 434 397 461 it's not good then against Miami it drops to 312 still not great and against Minnesota it was 248 so uh everyone's like well yeah because they ran the ball yes and no uh they were having a little bit more trouble passing than people realize the other thing that changed um Yards per attempt. So forget how many total yards, how many yards per attempt that they get. It was eight in the first game, nine in the second game, 8.1 in the third game, and then it drops to 6.9 and then to 6.4. And one of the, one of the biggest stats that uh, a lot of bookies and or at least a lot of uh, betters look at is yards per play um, on offense and on defense. And um, the Seahawks defense was giving up 6.6, 6.6, 6.5. That is awful. You know, you're giving up six, almost seven yards per play mm-hmm. drops to 6.1 and then to 5.4 against Minnesota. And so 5.4 actually would rank in the top, definitely in the top 10, maybe even in the top five in the NFL in terms of, of what you do for yards per play. So, and the last one I'll just call out, this has been the key one for me explosive passes surrendered uh seahawks gave up 11 in the first game 12 in the second game 10 in the third game then it drops below eight and last game it was two so i think that what we're seeing is some signs of improvement in terms of how the team is approaching the defense and how much they're blitzing and how much they're helping their coverage and they're making offenses having to move the ball down the field with more plays minnesota all their scoring drives were like 10 to 15 to 16 plays they were having to really dink and dunk and convert thirds and fourth downs to do it i also think that they did not have jamal adams they've only had quentin dunbar for part of it so I thought Shaquille Griffin has played two pretty solid games back yeah. to back. I think Ugo Amadi is doing a good job as a nickel corner. I think we're going to get DJ Reed, who might be helpful in the secondary. We don't know. So I would even say that the pass rush seemed better last game. There was some more impact to what we were seeing. So I don't think this defense is the best defense in the NFL or comparable to the LOB. But every number I'm seeing, though, basically the worst that they are ranking is around 20. They're around the 20th ranked defense. If you look at scoring defense, if you look at DVOA, that's what this defense is. Can they get up to 15th? I, I think the answer is yes. I, I don't think that's unrealistic. Uh, and I'm kind of curious, Jeff, where, where your head's at on this one. Yeah, I think you brought, you brought up some good points. And I think, again, I mentioned this earlier in the show. I think we all just kind of need to adjust our expectations mm-hmm. because of, A, a league-wide trend that's very hard to play defense, especially at home this year where there's, like, against Kirk Cousins, he's a guy who struggled in Seattle in the past with the crowd noise. And mm-hmm. you take out that crowd noise, he's way more comfortable. So I think that's just the thing we have to understand is happening everywhere right now. But I think you bring up a couple of good points. And to me, the big question down the road for – how this defense gets better is Quentin Dunbar and Pete's comments about him after the game. He was like, from the fans perspective, he looked, didn't look like he made a huge difference and his game seemed pretty quiet, but Pete was raving about him. And I think to me, what that means is kind of a point we've talked about a lot. It's just when Trey flowers enters the game, Minnesota was targeting him, and it's just a glaring weakness that I don't think scheme. I don't think, Coaching, I don't think anything can fix. If you have a personnel hole like that, and if you watch the Niners game, for example, the other day, they put in a corner who couldn't play mm-hmm. a lot worse than Flowers, they had no chance. So I think Dunbar being in there versus Flowers, to me, that's that gap is a lot bigger than I even thought we realized. I thought that Flowers would really use that as a growing opportunity, but he seems to have almost regressed. So I think that's their best chance of getting better because you're right, Shaq has played a lot better. 
they're they're not blitzing as much, so they're they're not leaving clear holes in the secondary. I thought Ryan Neal's been pretty good, and the coverage of the linebackers has been fine. So to me, that to me that's the make or break of how this defense gets better or not. How about you, Dana? Where, yeah. where's, where's your level of confidence in this defense getting better the rest of the way? Well, I definitely think they can get better. I think the whole team is going to get better, but I definitely think the defense is going to get better. And I, I have to say, I've been pretty impressed with what Ryan Neal has done. The kid came in cold off the practice squad, was about to quit football, as we all read in that article. And, and I think that he has come in and, and put a nice little spark in the backfield. And I, I've been really impressed with that. I, I would take him over Trey Flowers at any point at this point. You know what I mean? Which says a lot because Trey, you know, was a starter for quite a while. And, you know, Ryan Neal is kind of fresh, you know, and new. Here's the thing though. I think that one thing that we have talked about as a group is that with Jamal Adams and having him up there blitzing, 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 and having it being so obvious. And I think that they need to reshape that and keep him in his positional more. Not that I don't want her to do it because it's a lot of fun when he does it. But at the same time, I think when they bring him back, I wonder if they'll adjust that a little bit um, and, and see if they can use him instead of just up there. I do think a little bit of that had to do with Greg Williams and the Jets. I think that they, you know, were trying to get back at him just a little bit. And plus, I think Jamal Adams actually probably really likes to, to play that type of football, but we need his presence in the back. We need him, we need him to move back a little bit. Um, and so I think that there's a very good chance that this, well, they've already proven they can get better. I think they can get even better. And I think that all of us agreed at the beginning of the season, this did not need to be, you know, a top five defense. This needed to be, you know, a top 15 defense. And with the way this offense is playing that it, it's all we need. You just need this much more out of them. Just this much more. Well, you know, I, I want to talk about that too, for a second, before we kind of get towards the wrapping part of this. Um, I've seen a lot on Twitter, Seahawks fans saying, if this defense doesn't improve, we're not going to be able to win a super. We can't win a Super Bowl with this defense. Not only do I disagree with that, every odds maker in the on the planet disagrees your Seahawks are if not the second most likely team to win a Super Bowl um from the odds makers right now they're the third they're no they're no lower than third anywhere else so again this is a relativism type of game you just have to be this is like when the bear's chasing you in the woods you just gotta be faster than your friend right like <laughs> this is one of those things they did they just need to be the best of the teams this year and um, I think that the Seahawks are five and zero for a reason. I don't think that the, that there's a reason to think that they all of a sudden can't win with the defense they've got. The other thing that is going to be a big factor in the numbers for this defense. If I told you they have, so they have 11 games left, right? How many of those games are they going to play against an offense that is ranked above 20th in offensive efficiency? How many would you guess? Out of 11. Don't look. Just guess. I'm not looking. I would say at least eight of the 11. Four, I'd say. What did you say, Jeff? Four. Four. Pretty close. The answer is three. Two of those come against the Rams. One of oh, I was thinking the, game, the, the team's under, not over. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That was my fault. So, so they're going to have eight games as you maybe this is what you meant Dana. that's what they i said eight, yeah, eight games yeah. against teams that are 20 or worse or worse in offensive efficiency so this is um this is from sharp football stats um, which is a great site if you haven't checked it out we've had warren on the show the seahawks have the third easiest schedule the rest of the way if you're looking at opponents offensive efficiency so this defense is not going to have doesn't look like it's going to have the test. And we saw the 49ers defense look like, oh my gosh, they're pretty good when they're playing the Jets and the Giants. Guess who's going to get to play the Jets and the Giants later, right? So um, anyway, I think that's going to be another factor and things are going to feel a little bit better, I'd hope, about this, about this, uh, about this defense. And to be honest, the Vikings were the most efficient offense that the Seahawks have played so far. And they held them to... Uh, the second least amount of points that the Seahawks have surrendered so far this year. So again, I think there's some signs of, 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 of life, so to speak. And uh, we'll see that. All right. Last question before we wrap up. Uh, 
49ers play the Rams this weekend, or I think it's Monday Night Football, if I'm correct. So who are you guys rooting for in that game? And Dana, we're going to start with you. I I guess I... Pains me, boys. It pains me to say this. But I mean, you have to root for the 49ers, right? We need we need the Rams to lose this game. That's an answer. It makes me nauseous. Jeff? I know. I, I agree. It sucks. It's awful. <laughs> I can't I think the Niners are my least favorite team in sports. But if you're being like an objective from the Seahawks perspective, I know this hurts to say, but the Rams scare me more than any other team. Mm-hmm. And just, I think they're uniquely built to beat Seattle with Ramsey and Donald and how McVay beats on his defense. So any, just any leeway you can get, if you can gain a, a game, a half game by being idle, I think that's massive for these guys. Like my heart says, I want you against the 49ers every game possible because I enjoyed Jimmy G falling all over his face more than maybe more than any Seahawks game this year. I had so much fun watching that Dolphins game, but for being honest about what the Seahawks need, it's got to be the Rams loser. Yeah, and I think it's all mindset. So I will never, ever, for any reason, cheer for the 49ers. Fair enough. Ever. (laughs) But will I cheer for them to be a little bit less horrible than the Rams? Sure. Like, I hope they look like they both just look like Keystone Cops out there. And it's just awful football and they beat each other up and yeah honestly i won't even be upset if the rams win here's where it is folks i think the seahawks are the best team in the nfl i don't spend my time right now hoping that other teams lose or get injured or anything else so that the sea and i'm not saying you guys are hoping for that either so that the seahawks can get propped up if the Seahawks take care of their business, if they write their ship on, you know, in the, the places where they have gaps and they can get healthy, I think the Seahawks stack up against any team that they could play. So I'm not going to spend my time worrying about that. I will enjoy watching those two teams, knowing that no matter what happens, I will be happy about the outcome. So that's always, that's always fun. It's always fun to pick your feet up when the Seahawks are undefeated on a bye week, getting healthy, and those two teams are having to fight. So with that, um, I want to thank you, Dana O'Gorman, um, at Dana OG on Twitter, and Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter, for joining, as always. And uh, hope everybody enjoyed uh, a little bit of a different type of show tonight. You know, we all just spoke to each other uh, calmly and, and coolly. Maybe it's not as funny or exciting. <laughs> Who knows? There's something for everybody on this show. We value that. But uh, it was really great to, to just spend some time talking about the Seahawks. And I hope all of you, if you haven't already, click subscribe, click the bell to get notified when we go live and go over to patreon.com slash sign up five bucks, get in instant access to the Slack channel. It's great. And we'd love to have you there. So I uh, hope everyone enjoys the rest of your bye week. We will certainly see you online and uh, go Hawks.